I'm teaching in one of our practices. We have um, six or seven practices that we, we look at, but this one is uh, called Investing in Youth. And um, I want to do that partly through Nehemiah and through some other stories in the Bible as well. Uh, I suppose when I was given this topic, I thought, yeah, you know, I can speak on this topic, but I'm not really feeling it. And um, maybe I wish I hadn't done that, but I'll explain a wee bit about that later because um, it, it's been a bit of a journey over the last month in our family. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about Nehemiah, just to reference something in Nehemiah. As we've journeyed through the book of Nehemiah over the past few months, um, I've been struck about, we talk about rebuilding the walls. But the level and quality of the wall building is something that um, I was really struck by. And a few times we've talked about how there's these two guys, I call them Statler and Waldorf, the Bible calls them Sambala and Tobiah. And um, how they basically said, oh, look at these guys rebuilding their walls, they're pathetic. Like, you know, even if like a fox jumped on them, they would fall over and, and crumble away. But they eventually get to the point where they completely rebuilt the walls of an entire city. And it kind of doesn't make sense in a way because there's only like, you know, possibly like only like 10,000 um, people in a place that used to be a city. There's a remnant because most of, of Israel have been taken away into slavery. And so you look and you think like these guys have built, rebuilt all the walls. And if it was me, I would have said, look, you know, here's what could we actually, you know, together as a group of 10,000 people or however many were there, what could we defend? Let's build a really sensible wall around us to keep us safe. But they have a different vision. They have a bigger vision. They don't have a vision for themselves. They have a vision for a preferred future, a God-given future. So they, they rebuild the entire walls. And, and that must have been weird. Like, imagine being in a city. We've rebuilt all the walls, but there's nobody in it. It must have been a strange experience. Maybe we don't think about that. But um, what I want to, to talk to you about today is that God gives us visions that are bigger than ourselves. And visions actually that um, there's stuff that we do. There are ways of us thinking that our children or our children's children will live in the good of. But if we don't have that big vision, if we don't have that big picture now, they'll never live in the good of that. Um, so i just remind you a wee bit about uh, Nehemiah. Uh, so it says in Nehemiah 2, it says uh, that Nehemiah said to the people, the remnant of Israel, the people he was going to get to build this wall, he said, you see, we're in trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's, let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. And it was a good work and a good vision from God. And so they started rebuilding all of the walls. And when God gives us a good vision and a good dream, and we think it's too big, it's too much, we need to start building it. And so later on, after they've been quite through a, quite a few trials and, and tribulations, when people have threatened them, this is what Nehemiah says uh, in chapter 4. There we go. Um, it says, After I looked uh, things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so it's like, we're not going to be afraid. In fact, we're going to fight. We're going to build. We're going to create something that's not just for us, but it's for our sons and daughters. And so there's a statement of thinking about intergenerationally. And I believe that one of the things that God is restoring to the church in these days is a multi-generational vision. You know, we came through um, 30 plus years of the Troubles. And one of the things that that did was it robbed us. It robbed us of vision. It robbed us of looking to the future. Because the only future that we could look at was, was quite bleak. And we just battened down the hatches. And we, we, we um, removed ourselves from involvement in lots of things. You know, uh, and we, we just looked after ourselves and our family or our community. And we didn't think... What would it look like for Northern Ireland to be amazing? Or what would it look like for Ireland to be changed and transformed? You know, what would it look like for our children, our children's children, to live in a different preferred future? And so I believe at this time, God is restoring vision to us, his people, for ourselves, but also for our children's children. And people do have vision. You know, a long time ago, um, these guys... These guys had a little bit of vision. I don't know who these people are. You might know. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter. But you see that little plan there that they're looking at? That is the, the plan for Rushmere before it was built. And they're actually signing the paperwork to, to do that. So 40, uh, 50 years ago, people had a vision for a new city, for a new town. But it was just, it was just fields. It was just fields everywhere. And then they thought, uh, you know, let's do this. And they built a couple of buildings. And does it does not just look ridiculous to have like fields and two buildings and a car park? And and people probably thought they were crazy. And people have thought Craig Avon is just crazy and stupid for a long, long time. But you know what? We now have civic buildings, housing developments, shopping centres, amazing parks and leisure facilities, housing developments, um we have things that is, exist because somebody somewhere had a multi-generational vision because these people are dead. Most of them. If some of them are alive, I apologize. <laughs> but most of them are dead. Or very old. But, you know, they will not get to live in the fullness of what my children will even live in because, but they had to start and think, let's build something that's going to be here after we're gone. Let's build something that's going to be here after we're dead. And, and so um, the Bible talks about this too. It's really important that we see that this is something that when the Holy Spirit breathes life into things, the topic of investing in youth, a multi-generational vision of a preferred future for our town, for our church, uh, for our nation, is fueled by the dreams and the visions that come from the Holy Spirit. And you see, this type of thinking was won by Jesus at the cross. This is one of the things that he paid for. He, the Holy Spirit comes upon us because of what Jesus did at the cross. And when the Holy Spirit comes on us, because of what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit says, here, let me tell you what it looks like in heaven. Let me give you a picture or a vision or dream of what heaven looks like. Let's start doing that on earth. And so it looks like this as well. 
in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. And, like, I'm sorry, if you know me for any length of time, you know I am slightly obsessed with this passage. But... Um, one of the things that this really struck me over time is there must be a connection between old men dreaming dreams and young men and women having visions. And, you know, why, why would an, an old person dream a dream about a future that they're not going to live in unless it's for their children? And why would God give a young person or a younger person a vision unless it could actually happen. And so there has to be a connection between the dreams of older people and the visions of younger people. And could it actually be that the dreams that we carry, that I carry, that I'm thinking, well, if this dream's going to happen, then I want to make it possible for my children to have a vision and think, this is how that actually comes, comes about. I believe the two are connected. And as we dream big dreams, as we dream multi-generational dreams, they become the fuel of the visions of the next generation. And actually a cycle of dreams and visions starts to take place where the kingdom is advancing again and again and again. One generation has a dream that becomes the vision of the next generation. The next generation actually make that happen. And as they have made their vision happen, they start to dream again for the next generation and so on and so forth. And what the Bible says about this, and this is kind of, if you like, this is one of the, the, the values of the kingdom. It's one of the generators of the kingdom. Um, Paul says it like this in Second Corinthians. Now the Lord is the spirit. And when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom to dream. There's freedom to have visions. There's freedom to think differently. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we go from glory to glory. We're transformed into his image. Um, but it's not just about us. You see, when we are transformed into the image of God, we look around at the things around us in life that don't look like God and say, that has to change. If we are being transformed, then we go into environments and we become transformation in those environments. And it happens generation to generation, or so it should um, Bill Johnson from, from Bethel, he said, each generation of revivalist is fatherless. Uh, and what he means by that is that one generation sees the kingdom come, sees revival come. The next generation tries to maintain that. The generation after that pays homage to it in the past. The generation of that goes, this is rubbish, isn't it? Do you remember hearing the stories of what happened 50, 100 years ago? In our culture, it's over 150 years it was 150 years in 2009, isn't that right? 1859 to 2009. We're looking back at 150 years and thinking, wouldn't it be great to see that again? But what if what we see in terms of breakthrough, what we see in terms of God doing and moving uh, and uh, the, the amount of, of miracles, signs and wonders that we see, the outpouring of the Spirit, transformation in people's lives, what if what I have had to contend and fight for, and what we have seen breakthrough for, what if that just becomes the, the floor of the next generation? So what is our ceiling 
what of the, the extent to which we've seen breakthrough becomes the floor of the next generation. And actually, our kids start where we stopped off. Where we um, just um, encounter more the other day other day's conference up in the North Coast, somebody said that, that we don't hand a baton onto the next generation, we hand a flame onto the next generation. You see, a baton's just a useless piece of wood, and sometimes they get dropped. But a flame, it carries a fire. And so we take the next generation, we say, you run with this. Here's what we fought for. But you take this, and you make something of it. And so we're called to actually see the next generation do something amazing. And our spirit-filled dreams will shape the investment that we make in the next generation. And that's what investing in youth is actually all about. We catch a glimpse of God's glory and we see him, we're transformed. Our dreams and our visions are transformed. And then we say, I want to see that happen again. And, um, or, or we do something else. And I'm not going to name the church. I'm not going to reference where it is. But uh, a number of years ago, I watched a, a, a church build a new building. And they had a really, really old building, and they needed a new building. And so they built a new building, and it was amazing, really nice, nice car park around it, and, and lovely, lovely um, facility. But it's just ever so slightly smaller than the building they had before. And I remember driving past and thinking, that reflects the vision of that church, is that they've built somewhere to house themselves. They haven't built somewhere that, that actually any growth is going to happen in. In fact, they've, they've built something to maintain and decline. But it's nice and it's comfortable. And do we want that for our children, that what we hand them over is some kind of maintenance program? Or do we want to hand them over a fire, put a fire in their hands? Because we want to see a city transform. We want to see a nation transformed. And so we need big vision. And if you have small vision, if you have short-term vision, you do what what very often they do in our government. So um, we drive around in petrol cars, diesel cars, don't we? Are we running out of fuel? Yes. Do we think about that? No. Do we care? No. Why? Because we'll never have to live in, in a circumstance where there's no petrol. But our children will. And our children's children will. And the use of fossil fuels versus renewable energy and the policies around that I could talk about. It's another sermon, and I'm not going to go there today. But what I want to say to you is this. It's a huge cost to invest now in renewable energy so our children will have electricity in the future. Is it worth it? Are we prepared to pay the price now in this generation so that our children can live sustainably and have lights and electric in the future? If it came down to it, and that's what it was, we'd be like, yes, I am willing to invest in the future of my children, so I'm going to have to make some hard choices. I'm going to have to pay out some money. I'm going to have to think about the environmental responsibility of how I live my life now, because my children's children will live in the toxic waste of uh, our, our mess if we don't change. Um, and so I think when it comes to, to us, when it comes to Christians, we need to think as well. And I'm going to just uh, show you briefly. I am I'm rushing this, but I think it's because I feel like God wants to do some stuff in us this morning. Okay, so uh, David, at the end of his ministry, at the end of everything he'd done, he brought peace to Israel. He brought prosperity. He fought a lot of battles and created um, Israel as a nation. And uh, he gets to the end of his, of, towards the end of his career, the end of his life, and he wants to do something. He wants to build a temple for God. And this is what God says. King David arose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. 
I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. And so David got really grumpy and he just said, that's it. Me, me and you, God, we fall out and he died. Okay. What he did was he thought, that's okay. That's okay. But could my son be the person to build the temple? And so then what he does is uh, he got his son Solomon. And he said, here's my plans. Here's my plans, Solomon. Um, Plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, the place of atonement. He gave him the plans that the Spirit had put on his mind. Okay, so his dream that the spirit had given him, he gives the detailed plans to Solomon, and he says, you know, you know, uh, all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God, for the treasures of dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the work of serving in the temple, as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. Um, and so, and it says here that Solomon went up. Um, before the Lord in the tent of meeting, and he offered sacrifices. So actually what, um, what David does is he gets all the plans, everything together, and he actually goes out and he negotiates and he gets all the gold and all the materials that, he's gonna ne- that Solomon's going to need. He gets all the resources that Solomon's going to need. He gets the, you know, the cedars of Lebanon, there's a wee song with a wee line in about that. He gets all the wood that, that David's going to need or Solomon's going to need. He gets everything all the plans, all the materials, so that his son can build a temple for God. David had the original dream, had the original vision. He passes that on to his son. His son then builds with those things. And so Solomon went up, and what actually happens is that God appears to Solomon says, ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He's been given everything already, hasn't he? He's taken over his cane. He's got all the riches he wants. He's got the plan to build the temple. And Solomon says, You've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And um, next bit says, God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gabon from before the tent of meeting and he reigned over Israel. And Solomon could have asked for wealth and status and riches. He could have asked for victory, but he asked for wisdom. And you know, that's my prayer for our kids is that they won't run after just the things of this world, that they won't think, I need this, I need that, this is going to make me happy, this is going to make me successful, this is going to make me popular, this is going to give me power, that actually our children will cry out for wisdom. 
because they need it. And we need to invest in them because they are going to live in a world, I just don't know, um, it just changes so quickly. We need to think about that. We need to think about our kids being in those environments. But David must have modeled something to Solomon that when Solomon was faced at quite a young age with that sort of thing, what is it you want? God says to Solomon, what is it you want? Solomon goes, Give me wisdom and knowledge. That's what I really need, is wisdom and knowledge to know how to do this well. So for our kids and for our young people, can we be like David and create the circumstances around which they will thrive? Can we invest in them strategically? Can we fill their hearts and their heads with visions and dreams from God so that they know what way to go? Can we help them? And so one of the things we do is we invest in our kids every week in children's ministry. And that's fantastic. But, you know, that's one hour a week. And that one hour a week will not define how they go in life. It will help, but it will not define them. What will define them is what happens at home, what happens in family. It's a real challenge to be a parent. And Solomon got wisdom and knowledge. And we need, as parents, wisdom and knowledge to know how to teach our kids how to go. But as well as teaching them how to go, we need to teach them how to dream and how to have vision and big dreams and big visions. We want our kids to think, God has a future for me, a plan for me. I'm going to be part of transforming this city and this nation, just as my parents were part of transforming this city and this nation. They would carry that sense of calling with them. But they live in a world where it's really hard for them to know what way to go. There's all sorts of messages, all sorts of voices, all sorts of pressures on them. How are they going to figure this out? So one of the things that we want to do is to teach our children um, to know God's word, to know God's story, to know the overarching story of God so that they actually have a reference or a reference guide to figure out how to go in this world. And so in a way we could think about that, being uh, like like stars in the night sky and the ancient navigators who looked up at the stars and they were able to work out what way to go. They were able to navigate because they understood the landscape above them. And so we have, if you like, the whole story of the word of God, God's revelation of who he is through the stories of people. And they're a bit like those stars in the sky that an ancient navigator would have looked up from a boat and thought, what way do we go? Well, if we follow this star here and it takes us to here and this, this set of stars here. And so when our kids are in the darkness of the world and they don't know what way to go, they can look up at the great and the grand story of the wonder of God and his stories through people and go, what I'm going through right now is a wee bit like Moses. And this is the way God led Moses. Therefore, this is the way I am to go. Look at the way um, God led the children of Israel. He's leading me through a desert right now. Well, that's the way I am to go. Look at the stories of Jesus and the apostles. That helps me to understand the way to go. And so the word of God becomes this wonderful map that we can actually navigate life by. Rather than the alternative. Because you see, we're all in the boat and there's a current. So either we're pulled around by it or we navigate by the stars. 
and our fixed position, you know, you always need a fixed position. You always need a reference point when you're, when you're navigating. Uh, if you have a compass and you have north or you have a, a star um, that you can navigate by. But our fixed position, our compass, is the spirit of the living God, is the presence of God within us. And so we have to teach our children to value the presence of God, to hear the voice of God, to listen. And so what Al was talking about earlier, about how we actually sometimes need to just wait and rest and listen to what God is saying and and to know him. And when you don't know what way to go in life, rather than running around or being pulled by people or things, we actually rest and we go, right, God, I want to just get connected with your presence because it's in your presence. That's what is my compass. That's my centering point. And as I center myself in you and you guide me and I am able to navigate because of the stories that you've given me in your word and I'm listening to your voice, our kids need to know how to do these things because they're in a battle and they live in a world where, where truth is relative, where consensus is actually how most people live. And um, even back a couple of thousand years ago, when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, you know, he said that, um, this is Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors to equip his people for works of service so that the body would reach maturity. But what it says as well is, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. And see that sense of being pulled back and forward by every wave of teaching and the cunningness of man. Sometimes we think that that's to do with the church and false teachers, but it's as much to do with the world. See, every day our children are being taught. Every day they are being influenced by the winds of teaching in our society, in our culture, on social media. Every day they're being um, pulled about by the cunningness and, and deceit of man. How are they to know what way to go unless we raise them to be mature? And the, the journey that they have to walk is sometimes dark and sometimes hard. And for our family, over the past kind of month or so, what we've had the journey, our children have had some stuff happen to them. Uh, you know, as a Christian and as a leader, you always think you're up for the fight. But then the enemy goes after your kids. And you kind of hope your kids are up for the fight too, whether they want to be or not. And as a parent, you try and do your best, but you can't protect your children from certain things. Physical trauma, emotional trauma, all sorts of things. And you have to watch at times your children and you have to help them and walk them through pain. And, and we've been there as a family and what I've, what I've learned about my children is that um, they don't blame God when, when life doesn't go the, their way. That when they're in pain, physical pain or emotional pain, when they experience bullying from people that they shouldn't, actually what they want to do is turn to God in worship. Um, is turn to God in times of pain. And, and one of our children had a, a really terrible thing happen to them recently by, by somebody else. And, and that night as she was going to bed, she said, I just want to pray for them. I want to pray that, um, because they must be so broken and they must be in so much pain. And even though she was the one in pain, she was praying for the person that had caused her pain because she got it. 
She just got it. She knew the truth, and the truth was setting her free. And the circumstances in which she was experiencing were not defining her um, or ruining her life. In fact, she was saying, God's at work in this. And here's what God has to say about this situation, about this circumstance. And, and at times, our kids go through really difficult things. And um, again, like with, with one of my older kids who's in uh, secondary school, and she'll come home very often and say things like, I can't believe the way people speak about immigrants and how they hate them and wish they would leave the country. They're people just like us, Dad. They're people just like us. And we need to actually think how we love them and how we welcome them. And yes, there are lots of complications around immigrants, but the, her heart is right and her heart is pure towards the lost and the broken. And she even said, you know, and I was in one of my friend's cars and we passed somebody on the street and her dad was saying all these things about the the immigrants. And that's wrong, Dad. You can't say that. You shouldn't do that. And so I'm seeing my children being able to navigate situations and circumstances that, that they don't have a huge amount of history for, but they have the word of God in them. And we've done our best to, to bring them up well so that when they face new things, when they face unexpected things, when they face trauma and brokenness, they're able to say, this is really hard, but here's the way to go. I know what to do. I know the right thing to do. Um, and I just love that. It breaks my heart at the same time when my kids are going through pain. But the fact that they're able to to navigate it, to figure it out, just blesses me so much. Um, our children have to, to do something. We have to teach them how to swim against the current. Everything in this society and, and in this world at times is going against the ways of God. We saw that uh, over the, the weekend there with the vote uh, on abortion in Ireland. And we just go, no, this is not right. This is not the way God made it to be. The value, the sanctity of human life is being attacked. And we have to go in a different direction. And our children are facing pressures in society and in culture that we are, are facing too. But they're going to face it even more. And um, I love this picture. If we can get it back. Can somebody get me the picture back? There we go. Um, of salmon swimming upstream. And you see, these, these stupid fish, right? All the other fish are going in one direction. Let's go with the current. Let's go with the flow. That's what you do. Let's go with the flow and the current. Because that's the easiest way to go, isn't it? Everybody's going that way. Everybody's going that direction. But these guys, no. They want to go the opposite direction. The whole current and everybody is going in one direction and they want to go upstream. And they want to go up waterfalls instead of down waterfalls. And they want to to go uh, away from everything else. And what they have to do to enable to do that is to come out of the environment in which they're in. To enter a different environment. So they go from what they're used to, from what's normal and natural to them all the time. It's it's only in the travelling through the air that they then have forward momentum. And that's what enables them to get to where they need to go. And I think in some ways that's a really good picture of what it is we need to be teaching our children is how can you stop being immersed and pulled along by the environment in which you're in to come out of that 
into the presence of God, into the reality of heaven, to encounter the living God, and from that place take the momentum of heaven and go against the current, against the stream, against the flow of life and society, and at times say there is a different way. There is a different way to live. And our kids are constantly bombarded by one worldview, which is the worldview of earth. We need to educate them on the worldview of heaven so that they'll figure this out. They'll fig- I cannot follow God and go in the same direction as everybody else all of the time. And we have to learn. They have to become naturally supernatural kids that know God's voice that know his presence, that seek his voice and seek his presence, that will come out of the environment they're immersed in and go back into to his environment. So one of my kids loves music, absolutely loves music, listens to music all of the time. And she said to me recently, I'm really sick of pop music. I'm just, I'm just really sick of it. And do you know, like most of the songs don't make any sense and they're rubbish. And she was lamenting about how she has to listen to pop music sometimes so that when other people start talking about, have you heard this new song? She'd be able to go, yeah, I have. And and, uh, we were laughing in the car actually yesterday saying, you know, there's a lot of songs recently that are about, hey, we were in a a good relationship, but then it all broke up and I hate you, but I really miss you. um, And uh, life's better without you, but I wish you were here again. And and that's the songs that you can make sense of. And she said, I just love, I just love worship because it has meaning and it has purpose. It makes sense to me. Um, and, I, and I just want to listen to worship. And, you know, I'm all for all forms of music. I think there's lots of wonder and creativity and stuff like that in it. But what I heard from my child again was the stories and the message that I hear in these songs are not good for me or good for my life. But when I listen to people worshiping God, when I listen to the word um, coming out in song, it feeds my soul. It changes me. I love it. And uh, our kids go to sleep um, listening to worship music. And so like, if you happen to wake up, go to the toilet at like two o'clock in the morning, you're like, there's music on somewhere. And the kids are just stuck their iPods on and, and going to sleep um, because they're renewing their, their minds in God's truth. Um, they're allowing that to speak to them. And so our, our children have to learn to, to go in a different direction very often um, from the people around them. We want them to, to know an alternative story. To know and to live an alternative story, they have to also live in, alter, in an alternative reality. And that's why we want to see our kids filled with the Holy Spirit, being able to hear God's voice, that they, that they will actually um, follow him no matter what. We want them to know treat all people with love and respect. We want their education about sex and relationships to come from the Bible and from their parents, not from the internet. We want them to have wisdom to know what is wrong and broken about circumstances they find themselves in and to believe that they can do something to change that. We want them to be secure in who they are and whose they are and what they're called to do so that no matter what situation or circumstance happens, they will choose the right path. I mean, we want all this for ourselves, actually, like, don't we? But we want this for our kids. We want them to host the presence of God, and so that, that when they come into a, a situation where there is brokenness, that they will be a, bring a superior reality into an inferior situation. All situations are inferior to the presence of God. 
he changes things. And our kids are going to change things. When they walk into the room with the presence of God, things change. Reality starts to change. See, we're part of God's victorious, advancing church, an army of heaven-minded people. And so we want to protect our kids, don't we? But we need to raise them to be risk-takers. We, we can't raise them to fear the world. We can't raise them to actually, let's batten down the hatches and get through this, because in the end, it's all going to be all right in heaven. No, we want to raise them to bring heaven to earth. We want to raise them with big visions and big dreams, to be like um, these people that rebuilt the walls in the Emmaus day, and they said, let's rebuild an entire city. Well, there aren't very many of us. Do we really need that? Do we? You know, why don't we just like build a wee small wall and we'll all be safe inside here? I don't want that for my kids. I want them to say, uh, and my son actually, he's seven, he keeps saying to me, you know, where I grew up, Dad, he's been saying this for a couple of years, I'm going to make Lurgan into a city. And um, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna, so I'm going to have to build a lot of things because it isn't big enough. It's going to be a city one day. And, he's, and then he said, um, I'm going to build a really big bridge as well, Dad. I'm going to re- build a bridge from here to Africa. And on that bridge, there's going to be lots of benches. Because he said, when the poor people are coming from Africa to here, they'll need to rest along the way. So I'll put benches along the path because they need, they need help. And so let's build a bridge over to them so we can rescue them. And, you know, do I just go, that's a load of rubbish. Think about the impossibility of building a bridge from here to Africa. Or do I go, Zach, that's a fantastic dream. That's a fantastic vision that you have that heart, that you want to see your area thrive, but it's not good enough for you, that you want to see the people in the, in the place that you think is the worst, where people are the poorest, that you want to actually think, how can we rescue them and bring them from where they're at to somewhere that's good? Um, and so I think that's enough. What I would love to do today is just to pray for you guys, particularly um, if you're a parent of a child that comes to this church, could you stand? Or if you're a parent of a child of, a, of church-going age, if you're a visitor and you have kids that are here today, I'd love you for you to stand. And I would love for us to pray for you that God would give you visions and dreams for your children and that you would be able to lead them in your home where they're at every day to teach them God's ways to teach them to love God's word teach them to listen to the spirit and that we just in our frailness and our brokenness because parenting's so hard isn't it so hard it's like sometimes it just gets harder and harder and harder but God has a way through for them and when we catch that vision they become envisioned and, there, uh, and the dreams and the hopes that we have from God become the fuel for them, for the next generation and for the next generation. So if you're not standing, could you reach out your hand um, uh, to these people or you can put your hand on them if you can reach them and let's pray that God will bless them. Father, we just thank you for these parents standing today. We thank you for the children that are in our, our children's ministry as well. And Lord, we need, we need big dreams for our kids. 
Lord, we need to to see and to know what it is you're calling them to do, what you're calling us to do, what you're calling us to do together as families from generation to generation. And I thank you, God, for the grandparents here. I thank you for cousins and uh, aunties and um, uncles and and, and the fact that we're all part of a family and a community. But as these people stand today, I pray, God, for fresh vision fresh dreams for their kids, fresh dreams for their family, that we would raise up households of faith. God, where you're lifted up, where you're honoured, where you're glorified, Lord, we lead our children together as a family to see you and to know you. And, and, And as we, as families, journey through just the busyness of life in school and at home and in parks and, and wherever it is you have placed us, wherever we find ourselves during the week, Lord, we even know we are carriers of your presence. That we're part of a big story. That we're part of a big vision. And so we just ask for fresh um, vision for families. Lord, I ask for wisdom. Just as Solomon cried out for wisdom, God, we need wisdom. We need so much wisdom. Our children need so much wisdom. Lord, we want to, to teach them how to navigate through this difficult life, through the storms. We don't want to see them get carried by the current of everything else and everyone else. We want them to be able to say no, and he, but not just no, but here's the way to go. Here's a better way. Here's a better thing. Here's a better dream and a better vision. And so, Lord, bless these families. Bless these parents in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.